Ah, give it up for that band again. I just love every part of that. Vocalists, instrumentalists, they, they were good. I haven't heard that in a while. Well, I didn't know my Apple Watch did this. It has this feature called crash detection. And Apple describes it. Oh, we need to look at this for sure. I am going to talk about some tough things today. But Apple describes it as if your iPhone or Apple Watch detects a severe car crash, our device can help connect you to emergency services. So look at the word severe car crash. Evidently, hitting a pothole at the corner of Battlefield and Luster is a severe car crash. Because I did that a few weeks ago, and my Apple Watch screamed at me with a loud, loud beep, and it automatically sent a message to people on my emergency contact list. So I got calls or texts from Denise and then our sons, Daniel and Devin, and they said, we just got a message that you had a car wreck. And I replied to them something like, no, my watch thinks I had a car wreck. I just hit a pothole in Springfield. And uh, anyway, and then after I texted them and made sure that they knew that I was all right, I got a text from Rick McElvain, a part of the venues. He asked the same question, are you all right? I just got a text that you have been in a wreck. And I said, no, the thing is, uh, I, I am fine. But the thing is, so for some reason, I have you as one of my emergency contacts. And it's because I'm just totally technologically inept. And somehow I put Rick as an emergency contact. But I said, but I do know that if I ever had an emergency, you would come running. You would be there. And he replied, of course I would. I'm a very lucky guy. There are a lot of people that I know that I could list as an emergency contact. Many of you are in here in this room right now. But not everybody can. This person says, what if I don't have an emergency contact? No friends or relatives. What do I put on medical forms. Well, potholes are definitely a problem, but not as much of a problem as loneliness and isolation. You know that tomorrow, Monday, January 15, is not just MLK Day, it is National Pothole Day. How could something we hate so much get a day of its own? And today in our series on uh, our priorities and our goals for 2024, we're looking at the problem of loneliness as being solved by connection. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy has sounded the alarm that we are experiencing in the United States an epidemic of loneliness. If you are feeling lonely, if you are feeling isolated, you're not alone. The psalmist says, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. What a very picturesque way of describing that sense of loneliness. PBS reported that 60% of Americans report feeling lonely on a very regular basis. Between 1990 and 2021, there has been a decrease 
of 25% in the number of Americans who say they have five or more close friends. A decrease of 25%. That's a big drop. Instead of us seeing that and hearing that statistic and saying, well, that's too bad. Maybe we ought to ask why and what can we do to correct that. That loneliness and isolation has some pretty stark physical and health, public health uh, effects. It's worse than the rate of obesity. It's worse than the rate of diabetes. Back to Dr. Murthy. In his study, he says that lacking social connection, the odds of premature mortality is higher than smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day or drinking six alcoholic drinks daily, higher than physical inactivity, obesity, or air pollution. That's amazing to me that loneliness and isolation has higher odds of premature mortality than smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. That means a Marlboro man is really in trouble. Not only is he a smoking individual, he is a lonely individual. The Marlboro Man is an American icon. He is a manly man. He's strong, honest, quiet, but he's a lonely rancher smoking his worries away. The Marlboro Man has never been seen as emotional, open, or sensitive. Unfortunately, the Marlboro Man has been shaping generations of men since 1954. And I think one result of him shaping what we think manhood is, is that we have a problem of lonely men. According to data from a long group, American Enterprise Institute Survey Center on American Life, Say that real fast. Back in 2021, said that the percentage of men reporting at least six close friends declined by half from 1990 to 27% in 2021. Close friends dropped 55% in 1990 to 27% in 2021. The percentage of men reporting no close friends rose fivefold from 3% in 1990 to 15% of us in 2021, saying we had no close friends at all. Only 21% of men say that they regularly or often have emotional support from someone on a weekly basis. 41% of women say they have emotional support from someone on a weekly basis. And when we look at the loneliness of men, I cannot help but wonder if there's a connection between the fact that so many men are lonely with the fact that 98% of mass shooters are male. Is there a connection between those two tragic statistics? Well, those who study this kind of thing say, yes, there is a connection between Loneliness, isolation, and mass shootings. The Virginia Commonwealth Institute or University studied 177 mass shooters. 
And they identify social isolation as the most important external indicator leading up to the attacks. A 2004 study found that nearly three-fourths of school shooters had been bullied or harassed. So you combine loneliness, bullying, isolation, and the fear and the sense of rejection with the easy access to guns. Is it really a surprise that we have more gun violence in the United States than any other place on the country, in the, on the planet? So loneliness is not something I think we can just shove aside and say that's too bad. It's something that we need to take much more seriously. Dr. Murthy says that loneliness can grow into our lives and produce crime, anxiety, suicide, trauma, depression, violence, political apathy, even political polarization. I wonder if some of this political polarization that we are experiencing is odd, interesting, that it could be related to our sense of loneliness and how maybe we are so desirous of connection that we connect to people in, who uh, think one way instead of connecting to all people and learning from all people. You know, one of the most memorable lines from Matthew Perry's character as Chandler in the television series Friends is when he said to uh, Jennifer Aniston, Rachel, I'm not great at the advice. Can I interest you in a sarcastic comment? Well, we said goodbye to Matthew Perry on October 28, 2023. And in an interview with the U.S. edition of the Sun uh, newspaper, Pierre Johnson, who was Matthew Perry's barber, said that from 2018 to 2022, he would go to Matthew Perry's house and uh, cut his hair, and that Perry would often talk about his feeling of loneliness and his sense of isolation. Pierre Johnson said he was a lovable guy. He didn't want to live alone. He wanted to be with someone, but it was so hard to find anybody that he could trust. I guess there is a close relationship, though, that we have with the people that cut our hair. There's something about somebody giving you a scalp massage that connects you to that person, I suppose. But Matthew Perry didn't tell his barber anything that he didn't tell us in his memoir that he wrote just a few months ago. He said, I'm constantly filled with a lurking loneliness, a yearning, clinging to the notion that something outside of me will fix me. So what will fix our loneliness? I guess I could tell you if you're lonely, just go out, find some friends. But is it that simple? You know, when we struggle with loneliness, it chips away at our self-esteem and we begin to tell ourselves, well, the reason I'm lonely is because I'm unlovable. I'm unlikable. And we can very easily cycle into a very dark place. And in that dark place, we feel shame. So we're very hesitant to even try to meet friends, to make friends, to meet people who would want to be a friend with me. And we convince ourselves of our unlikability. 
Loneliness is at the heart of Charles Schultz's cute little comic strip featuring Charlie Brown. In this strip, Charlie Brown and Linus are talking at the brick wall where they visited so many times. Charlie says to Linus, I can never go any place with another person because that person usually doesn't like me. If I'm with two other people, I always feel that they're talking about me whenever I happen to turn my back. If I'm with three people, I always have the feeling that they don't really need me. I guess that's why I'm usually alone. Charles Schultz expressed what the scientists are telling us in that very first frame. I can never go any place with another person because that person usually doesn't like me. Those of us who have dealt with chronic loneliness really do feel like we're unlikable. We're unlovable. Looking at loneliness from the outside, one really might wonder, it's not that hard. If you're lonely, go to a party. Tell a friend that you're lonely and you need some connection. It seems like the rational thing to do, but once we begin to understand the mechanisms of loneliness and the shame associated with loneliness, it really becomes quickly apparent, very obvious to us, that the cycle downward is not easy at all to break. Loneliness and its cure is always, initially, an inside job. It's about who we think we are on the inside. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? That Matthew Perry became so famous in his role as Chandler in that TV series that it's called Friends. Where there were these relationships, both on the set and off the set. He was a part of a phenomenon called Friends. Yet inside he was so very, very lonely. It was a core of pain that was within him. So, how do we deal with that core of pain? How do we reframe our thinking? And how do we rewire our brain? Well, I think, honestly, if we want to deal with those deep needs of loneliness within, we really do need to see a therapist to help us navigate that. But I want to leave you this morning with a couple of ideas that Denise and I have just come to appreciate within the last 15 or so years. And that first idea is this. We are all connected. Science's current theory about the evolution of the universe is the Big Bang. And at its core, at its very simplistic uh, Big Bang for dummies, it goes back to the belief that everything was at one time connected. Everything was one thing. It was all together. All that is once was a concentrated mass, just a singularity, and then bang. The universe expanded into what it currently is. So at one point, according to this theory, we were all and everything was connected and we all have the same origin. And all the energy that existed in the Big Bang 
is still the energy that exists in the universe because energy cannot be created. It cannot be destroyed. It can just be transformed. And that's one of the reasons I believe in eternal life, so to speak, because the energy that is me may stop on this earth as this form, but I don't end. I just am transformed into something else because energy cannot be destroyed. What, is, what was, is, and what is will always be just in a different form. The astrophysicist Dr. Tyson says, we are all connected to each other biologically, to the earth chemically, to the rest of the universe atomically. We are not, figurat we are not figuratively, but we are literally stardust. As we said, tomorrow is MLK Junior Day. And I really do think one of the driving concepts in Dr. King's movement of social justice and equality was this idea of interconnectedness. December 27, 1967, he, uh, he preached his very last Christmas sermon. Uh, he died in 1968 of April, April the 4th. And in that sermon, he said this. It really boils down to this, that all life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one's destiny affects all indirectly. We are all interrelated. So what happened? If we are all connected, if we are all interrelated, why are we so divided? Well, there's ego, there's pride, there's fear. I really think there is religion. I think the teaching of religion has done more to divide than maybe anything else. You know, I, I was raised, as you know, in Southern Baptist world, and uh, from the very youngest of my earliest in my memory, I was taught. Probably not directly. I don't think so. My dad didn't intentionally do this. But through their teaching and through the church's teaching, I really was taught that there was us and there was them. There was our group. We were the Christians, and we were the ones that were in. We were the ones that God really loved, that we got it. We understood reality. And everything else, body else who wasn't a Christian or even down to wasn't a Baptist. They were the others. So we were taught at the very youngest of ages. Us versus them. And I kind of just have to think, what would it be like if John Lennon's imagine was true? Imagine there's no religion. That's kind of bad for a pastor to say that I think we would be better off if we didn't have this religion. The fact that I, as a five-year-old boy, would be taught that we were divided, not unified as a human race, that there were us and them. So this sense of disconnection that we have all been taught through tribalism and through religion creates war. At the worst, an apathy, at least. 
there's this passage in Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he describes humanity as a body. And some members of humanity are heads, some are pinky toes, but every part of the body is absolutely necessary. And he says, so that there would be no dissension within the body. Understanding that we are all a part of the body is required so that there would be no dissension. I wonder if the reason there's so much division is that we don't look at each other as a part of us, as being interrelated. Oh, yeah, you're my arm. I can't cut you off. If I cut you off, I lose my arm. We're all connected. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, then all, re all rejoice with it. In my world growing up, that passage was always, however, interpreted in this way. That Paul was not talking about humanity here. Paul was only talking about people who had said the prayer to ask Jesus into their heart. And so it was only Christians who were one body. It were only Christians with whom there should be no dissension. That hasn't worked too well in the Christian world, has it? And that is what I was taught that passage meant. And I don't really know what Paul meant. Maybe he did mean that. But I like to think that I just wonder if, when Paul says that we are all united in Christ, I wonder if he is helping us understand what Father Rohr calls the universal Christ. That pre-existing before the person of Jesus in a little town called Bethlehem in Judea, there existed what the gospel writer John describes as the word of God, the expression of God, the Christ who has existed from the beginning of the time, is that Christ who existed before Jesus existed. The power, the force, if you want to go Star Wars on me, the presence of love that connects all of us together. Maybe we really are a part of the same body. That there's a Republican and there's a Democrat. And they are parts of the same body. So that I will care for a Republican or I will care for a Democrat as if that person were just a part of me. Because that person is a part of me. And once we begin to think that all is connected, maybe there would be no dissension. Maybe there would be no isolation. And what I learned from this passage in Paul's letter is that all of us are worthy and all of us are valuable. Charlie Brown says to Lucy, whose back is turned to him, I wish somebody would come up to me and say, Charlie Brown, I'm your friend.
wow, you just hear Charles Schultz as a cartoonist crying out for that himself. We're all Charlie Brown at some time. Brene Brown, whom we all love and respect, says, I define connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without the judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Mary Shelley wrote the book Frankenstein back in 1818, and one of the main characters in that is a guy named Robert Walton. And Robert Walton's character in the book Frankenstein says, I desire the company of a man who could sympathize with me, whose eyes would reply to mine. There would be a connection. 1818, she wrote that. It's a universal, timeless need. We have so many opportunities for connection at the venues. Some of them are social response, social justice teams, our kids' venue, our students' venue, recess, Sunday morning service groups, creative team, tech team, connection groups. And if anybody needs all this, Whitney will be out in the lobby and talk to them about those and the opportunities to uh, connect through those connection groups. And no matter what group you plug into, you will find this consistent theme. Our aspiration is, and we're not always going to, you know, hit a home run, we're not always going to score a touchdown, but our goal, we're always driving for the end zone. At whatever you fall into, you will be seen and you will be heard. You will be loved. You will not be judged. We are so very much committed to this principle that we are connected, that we are the same body regardless of our views. You will have someone that you can write in your in case of emergency line. If nothing else, that's a good goal for us right there. Well, Chandler may not have been great at advice, but Matthew Perry really is. And I love his advice here and his perceptive perception. He says, God is everywhere. You just have to clear your channel. Or you'll miss it. Yes, God is everywhere. Not just at 2616 East Battlefield on this cold morning, but he's in your living room, in your kitchen right now. He's even outside in minus four degrees temperature. He's everywhere. Love is everywhere. She is everywhere. God is everywhere. We are all connected to one another because we're connected to that love and we're connected to that God. So wake up to our connection. Wake up to the fact that you are a member of a body and you are needed and you are valuable. Be connected.